Hey everyone, welcome to the industry show. I'm your host, Nitin Bajaj, and joining me today is Charles Owen of EV2 Ventures. Charles, welcome on the show. Thank you, Nitin. It's good to be here. Our pleasure. So tell us who's Charles. So um, I'm Charles Owen, uh, partner at EV2 Ventures, which is an early stage venture fund based in New Delhi, uh, India focused on investing in smart mobility, which is anything that moves people or things or the technology around it. So uh, currently I'm not in New Delhi uh, because of the COVID issue, but otherwise uh, New Delhi is, is home for me and my family. Not something I hear too often, but uh, tell us why India. So I think in India has, well, one, um, I'm, I'm married to a woman of Indian origin. So I've, you know, the culture is something that I'm familiar with and, and enjoy and, and want to, one of my children to experience. I really wanted them to have the ability to be in a different country and also be in a country that's close to, you know, close to them uh, culturally. Um, but India as a whole is a fascinating secular growth story. I mean, the population of, you know, 1.3 billion, 400 million people under the age of 25, you know, 600 million people under the age of 35, um, just the dynamics are, are fascinating and it's this wild place that has problems uh, that nowhere else has but also has you know beauty that and, and the confluence of cultures and ages and a density of population and energy that's you can only get when you have that many people in a, in a in a confined space so it's great i can see the love and passion and and i know having spoken to you a few times you should get your honorary indian citizenship pretty soon <laughs> So I'm working. <laughs> and we'll talk business uh, in a sec, but, uh, you know, race as of now is, and rightly so, a topic of the times. Tell us about your experience living in India as the minority. Yeah, I mean, I've been thinking about this um, because the whole Black Lives Matter movement and, and, the, and, the, and the tragedies of, that have happened and, and creating the unrest. Um, and, and the stamina with which, you know, the, the protests have really kind of kept on just shows the amount of you know, pent up tension, frustration, anger, and, and the fact that people feel like there's just a voice that hasn't been heard in, in ways that have been getting in the street. And the reality is, you know, I've benefited from you know, that kind of dominant uh, power structure being, uh, you know, being a white male from the, from the Midwest. Uh, India is, is, is interesting because I go and oftentimes I'll be at a conference of four or 500 people and I'm the only I'm the only Westerner. I'm the only non-Indian. Yeah. And the reality is it, it benefits me there as well. I mean, for one, it's everyone remembers me because I'm the only person there who's not Indian. So I stick out. I also, you know, I'm probably the only person there without hair. So I stick out, you know, more because I'm the only bald guy and the only Westerner. Um, I think a lot of people in India are honestly curious about why I've chosen to be there and invest in comp companies and take the you know, and, and enjoy the culture, enjoy the people. I mean, there's a whole expat community, mm -hmm. but those people generally revolve around Western businesses, you know, Google, Coke, Ford, or, or Asian businesses. I'm there starting my own business to invest in Indian companies. And I think that creates a level of interest and curiosity because it's something, you know, people from India immigrate to the US or immigrate to the UK to start businesses. And here I'm going from the US to India to invest, to start my own business and invest in them. Mm -hmm. So, Tell us a little more about, you know, you mentioned smart mobility and that's the focus for EV2. 
Tell us a little more specifics, the operations, number of investments, what kind of a portfolio you're building, and where exactly are you seeing the traction? Right. So we incubated this concept. Um, so, you know, I, I, I spent my the past nine years or 10 years of my career at Harman International, which is, you know, many people know the brand names of Harman Kardon and JBL in the audio world, but most of the business is automotive technology. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I ran mergers and acquisitions for them and spent all this time looking at cutting edge technologies of where things are going to go in the car and then helping execute the um, business plans from the top executives on, you know, where do we need to be and what are the companies that we should acquire. I wanted to take this knowledge and look at what are the problems that India is, is facing and how does technology help solve those problems? Because if you're in a place like Delhi or Mumbai with 20 million people around you, infrastructure needs to be improved, but infrastructure can't solve their logistics and transportation problems. You can't outbuild the growth rates and the density of population. There has to be interesting technological solutions. So that's really what I wanted to do. So smart mobility in the United States would be around, people would use the acronym CASE, so connected, autonomous, um, sharing or services, and electric. And really what we're seeing in, in India is, is around the electric. There's a huge portion of sharing, but it's a very different type of uh, sharing. There's no real movement on, on autonomous. And connectivity, the way we see connectivity is purely in the logistics supply chain world. How do I make my, my uh, supply chain future proof how do i get the 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 leverage of having everyone connected to my erp edi or api systems so that it's it's seamless rather than having you know what used to be and still is in many places a call tree and a pad and paper Mm -hmm. Um, so that's really what we're um the types of things that we're seeing we've made three investments Mm -hmm. um one in an ev manufacturer in delhi uh, who built they build three wheelers uh, for the logistics supply chain industry um, we invested in them when they had three uh, vehicles on the road. They now have 180 vehicles on the road and orders for over a thousand more. Uh, they just closed in a Series A round of 20 crore, and there's another 20 crore that's committed for when they get approval for their larger vehicle from ARAI, ARAI the Indian Automotive uh, Research Alliance. Um, and that's been delayed because the offices were closed. Right. So because of COVID, no one was in the office and able to make the, the approval. But they're back open, so hopefully they get that approval soon. Um, they've got 150 charging points in India, so one of the largest charging uh, networks in, in, you know, in, in Delhi, all in Delhi NCR. And their customers are people like Udon, Big Baskets, Grofers. Um, the reason we really like them is they design, build vehicles designed for the Indian market. There's interesting intellectual property around the battery technology. The founder's super smart. And the play is purely financial. It's not an electric vehicle play. They go to um, customers and say, hey, for one price, I'll give you a driver, vehicle, maintenance, and charging. So for a monthly basis, they know, hey, I've got a vehicle. Uh, you know, EVs are more reliable because in an electric three-wheeler, you have maybe 20 moving pieces, yep. whereas in an internal combustion engine alone, you have a 1,000 moving pieces. Mm-hmm. And so that's really what they're doing. It's a fascinating business model. Um, and the other two companies are in logistics technology supply chain. Um, one uh, helping, you know, f- focusing on really heavy industry, so oil and gas. Um, HPCL, which is one of the big oil and gas players, is their is their first client. They've their their product is on over almost six thousand vehicles there, helping forty six plants really understand where their tanks are when they're coming off the line. These are LPG tanks, and where their trucks are, and how do I make sure that trucks and tanks are in the right place at the right time? Mm-hmm. Um, they just won a contract with Maruti Suzuki, so now they're on twenty thousand vehicles with Maruti Suzuki, and that's really um, supply chain out of of vehicles out. 
and then returning with with uh, products and maintenance. So beating out European customers, uh, competitors, and it's really a, a fascinating, you know, fascinating company. They're cash flow positive, which in the startup world, you know, a couple of months ago, I was joking with my partner that if they were losing $500 million a year, we could go raise a couple billion because that seems to be very sexy in the startup world. But now that things have collapsed, I think having a startup that's cash flow positive is, uh, is, is great because it's software as a service model. So once they're, once they're able to get in, you kind of have this recurring revenue. Um, and the last company we have is, you know, last mile logistics for, you know, for um, large parcels. So Flipkart, Amazon, um, Big Basket, anything that's delivering something that doesn't go in a two wheelers because most of most e-com or most deliveries in India take place with someone on a backpack or a bag in a little scooter because they can weave through traffic much easier. Um, so anything that's larger and doesn't fit in them then, then so for example, outside of the tier one cities, um, they've got 30% of Flipkart's business. So they'll have 150 vehicles a day out just uh, helping Flipkart deliver large parcels. Um, and this is because 85% of the industry in India is three wheelers and two wheelers that are owned by mom, pop, mom and pops. And so there's no real mechanism to connect enterprises who need drivers and vehicles with the drivers and vehicles who are looking for work. So you have this situation where drivers and vehicles are deadheading around looking for work and these, and these warehouses with all these parcels that need delivered and there's no real way to make that connection. There's no supply, demand, pricing discovery. And so that's a platform that does that for the enterprise space. Um, and it's been very successful and we're excited about the opportunities for them. But those, those give you some examples of the types of businesses that we're investing in. Um, we invested in those three, call it a year to a year and a half ago to incubate the idea of here's mobility, here's the concept, here's the skill set and background that, that I bring and my partner brings to this industry. And is this an asset class that people want to have, you know, exposure to? And the response has been very positive so far. People understand the story. They think, you know, the, the technology in this space has a lot of room to grow. Um, a lot of Western players are interested in entering. So there's potential exit events, which has historically mm -hmm. been a problem in India. Yeah. And it's um, with e-commerce kind of just beginning, it, we're just at the forefront of where this is going to go. Lots of excitement. So talk to us a little more within the, the smart mobility space what does the last mile connectivity look like and how is it different than what we see here in the US compared to what's it in India? So first of all, let's talk about just the analog process. Mm -hmm. At the end of the day, logistics and delivery is an analog process. I have to give you your smartphone that you ordered from Amazon or from mm -hmm. Flipkart, you know, Flipkart. In the US, that would take place in a UPS van, mm -hmm. in a U United States Postal Service, sometimes does the last mile for, for Amazon. Um, an Uber Eats would come in someone's individual car that's on a platform interacting with a, with, a, um, with a restaurant, but through the Uber platform, or through an Amazon's own delivery vans and delivery services that they're starting to put out. In India, there are very few vans and none deliver to end consumers. Mm -hmm. the, the traffic and infrastructure is too congested to have kind of a large van yeah. full of parcels that goes out all day, delivering throughout a, throughout a neighborhood. So the infrastructure won't allow that type of UPS van or Amazon van that goes out and delivers to a whole bunch of people. So it's more a whole series of micro deliveries. Okay. I've got a two wheeler, I put mm -hmm. some things in my backpack and I probably have then a, a satchel in front of me. And these aren't big motorcycles, this is a 100cc okay. engine. You know, so very small engine, but you can only go 30 kilometers an hour in traffic. So you've got, you know, it's, it's great, fuel efficient, et cetera. So that means that you also have, you can't have huge warehouse hubs 
where everything is rolling off the line and then gets pushed, you know, cross docking. It comes in in one side in these big trucks, gets broken up and then sent out to vans on the other side and they all distribute it the next day. Because we don't, we can't put everything in these big vans. We're putting things in much small, you know, two wheelers or maybe in a, a three wheeler. So a three wheeler is like a rickshaw. Uh, so a rickshaw, like a tuk-tuk would be in, in Thailand. You've got a driver, sometimes even looks like almost like a bicycle with a trailer on the back. Mm -hmm. And it's, you know, enclosed and the, the, you know, the newer ones are, and you know, are, are, you would be able to identify them very clearly, but you also have some that are just, you know, the informal market that are literally a bicycle with maybe a motor and they just help people who need to, to halt it. So that the real, one of the real differences is you have to have a lot of different warehouse points because you can't have large vans that leave with a lot of, a lot of inventory. And so you have a lot of trips back and forth. Um, and this is creating a whole series of technologies around kind of micro, you know, hyper-local delivery and micro-warehousing. Um, and how do Corona stores play into maybe being short-term warehouses? But if that is a Corona store with like a lockbox, how do I get that inventory into a system that then coordinates with a driver and coordinates with someone's, you know, inventory management system? So there's a lot of complexities. Um, with the with the multiple locations that are going to be solved by technology and some really interesting young people develop, developing really cool stuff, but it's dramatically different from what we see in the U.S. or Europe. I remember you had also mentioned this really interesting metric that uh, I forget the exact numbers, but like maybe two thirds or three fourths of the travel that happens within India is less than three miles. Yeah. So it's it's. 70% over 60 70% is you know kind of five kilometers or less mm -hmm. and you know in the US you use micro mobility as being six five miles or less and it's five kilometers so 3.1 mile but if you've been you know in India which I know you have and, and <laughs> a little bit <laughs> a little bit um, India you take a huge city so take Delhi it's a series of hyper local interactive communities so okay. inside a community you don't have to go more than 800 meters to get to a, a vegetable stand, mm -hmm. to get to a pharmacy, to get to a store that has kind of uh, daily need goods. Um, and so you can do almost everything that you need for your daily, you know, your daily household in a very small radius. Um, we, wouldn't, we wouldn't have that in the West. It's almost like if you could walk out and, and everyone, all these series of stores are replicated on a very small scale. Um, so, so I think actually, a lot of the last mile transit is is less than you know even one kilometer or two kilometers because a lot of it is connecting people maybe from the university to a to a metro stop maybe from a metro stop to their job so that ends up being a lot of the a lot of the connectivity um, for 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 uh, micro mobility and a huge huge use cases women who want to who might walk during the day but feel unsafe walking at night so they want uh, you know a, a one kilometer ride on a rickshaw to the to the metro stop Things like that are the real kind of use cases, but it's a tremendous amount of the population transit is very short. And also has to do with the infrastructure issues, just traveling longer distance in India on the road takes a very long time. Yeah. How do, you know, there is, there is this huge trend of uh, electric scooters and bikes that are, you know, at least in LA and the bigger hubs in the US, given that, you know, this would, I would think, is the ideal market for that, right? The less, the three miles or four miles of uh, one-way commute. What is your perception of how this is going to pan out in India in terms of 
milestones and timelines and you know the challenges and the opportunities sure so like the birds and limes yeah. of the of, of, of the world mm -hmm. so a couple of things one standing scooters that you stand on um, I just don't think they'll work in India because the infrastructure differences you know in most of the cities you don't have sidewalks right. if you do have sidewalks they're very densely populated so you need mm -hmm. to be in the street the streets you know have potholes like everywhere else but the mm -hmm. potholes are you know, I think more frequent in India than they are in other places right. um, and the other thing I would say is the birds and limes are already you know some people will complain about them taking over corners or sitting outside of a you know certain stores yeah. there's not that depth of of real estate in India to kind of just park things in those places there yeah. are companies that are in this market uh, Yulu out of Bangalore yeah. uh, the founder uh, founded one of the first unicorns in India and so he's yeah. a second time entrepreneur for the Indian market very smart guy and I hope he's very I hope he's very successful and like, like him a lot I mean, but he's designed an electric scooter that you sit on yeah um, and uh, they're moving into a larger a larger form factor and they did start off with some bicycles but really bicycles designed to kind of go on set you know set routes so you know this office park maybe back to the to the metro um, bounce and, and vogo are kind of starting to get into this market they were these are um, shared services shared plays but they were um, combustion engine two-wheelers and now they're pulling you know electric vehicles onto their onto their um, platform people feel more comfortable in the shared vehicle that they can sit on the question that we have longer term for India is is it a safe investment if the person who's using the asset is not the owner of that asset okay. and I think this is a question that exists everywhere you know not just in India because you, you know you just buy you just don't tend to care for things as carefully if it's not yours if you're just kind of borrowing it mm -hmm. but then when you add the infrastructure problems into India you know, where do we actually go find these products? You know, are they torn up more? Is it going to survive long-term? That's the question. So in the micromobility sector and electrification, we've actually been, surprisingly, because this was completely shocking to me when we entered it, is we're more excited about electrification of rickshaws mm -hmm. and having battery swapping in rickshaws because the driver is the owner of the asset mm -hmm. and has some relationship with the person with whom he's leasing the batteries on a longer-term basis. And we feel like, that creates more of an ownership mindset around the asset and hopefully a longer lifestyle. But it's, it's developing very rapidly, but mm -hmm. there are models, like when I say electric, you know, electric rickshaw where they have a battery swapping, I mean, it's just a concept that doesn't exist anywhere outside of, of India, maybe, right. you know, Thailand, maybe Vietnam, maybe Indonesia. And, and most of those rickshaws come from India, right? Yes. In those countries as well. What's, what have you seen so far, uh, is the government stepping up specifically to bridge that infrastructure gap? So on infrastructure, so one, India has a great rail, rail infrastructure, right? So you have, some, you have some of the larger logistics infrastructure that's mm -hmm. there. Inside cities and states, you have the traditional battle that you see in the US or in Europe as well as between you know, kind of, are, are we all going to get along and, and, and play nice? The roadways have been improving. Um, you know, I think that it's just when you have the growth rates and the density of population, you're always playing catch up. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I'm not sure that you can get in front of it on an infrastructure side. Where I have seen them be really helpful is there are whole processes around Nithi Aayog, you know, government think tank, uh, Startup India. And these, uh, you know, the think tanks really take seriously electrification. How do we help this? How do we help this space? And I've been at many conferences or speaking on panels where people will say things like, you know, why hasn't the government of India mandated a standard for electrification in India? And the, the, the representatives from Nithi Aayog will say, well, we don't know 
want to standardize. If we were to step in and do it right now, it would be the government deciding before the market has told us what is the most valuable, you know, and, and most usable standard. And I thought, you know, those are beautiful answers for, for a, you know, a government, uh, you know, official to say, you have to tell me what to standardize. If I tell you, that's awesome. then I failed in my mission. Yeah. You know, so it's, it, was, it was a kind of a great back and forth. You mentioned, you know, conferences and meetings and, you know, public sector, private sector. Give us a sense for, not now, but when you are in India, what does your day look like? So one, I was trying to create a, a rhythm so that I could plan or plan around things. So yeah. I would travel Tuesday to Thursday. So I was trying to be home with, you know, around my family Monday, you know, Monday and Friday, just for the, for the weekends. Um, but, you know, I'm a father. Uh, so my children, the bus leaves at 715. They leave the house for the bus. So I'm up at 545 so I can get them ready before <laughs> school. So it's an early day. Um, then, you know, most days I will have a handful of meetings with startups and or investors. And then I've got the continuing companies that I have that we've invested in. Mm -hmm. So we created a rhythm where Monday and Tuesday would be startups that we would meet with. So, you know, if, if we wanted to part our, part our time, we just meet with them on Monday and Tuesday so we can have all the companies come in at one time. Uh, Wednesday and Thursday is, you know, meeting with investors. Uh, and Friday is then our days to work with, you know, the companies that we've invested in, board meetings. Now, of course you have, conferences and other things and, and and this is great on paper and you know sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't but i'd say you know in a given week we meet eight to ten companies all in this space you know either electrification micromobility farm to fork warehousing technology um you know blockchain and supply chain drones doing deliveries for hospitals of you know of, of you know goods that have to be delivered quickly like blood or, or organs um, just a, a, amazing things that are happening. So you get to see all the energy and excitement of, of entrepreneurs. And then you, you know, have to do the, the back office of working with, uh, you know, finding investors so you can go help the entrepreneurs and then managing the companies that you invested in. Never a dull moment. And looks like you're missing it. Yeah, I miss it. I mean, we also get to see a lot of different cities, right? Because you'll go visit the cities there where investors are and, 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 the comp and companies are. So if you think about India, right? So Delhi NCR, actually, Gurgaon is, is, is one of the hot spots for, for startups. Mm -hmm. Bangalore being the traditional space. And then there's a host in other cities. But between Bangalore and Gurgaon, you have a lot of the startups. Mumbai is a lot of traditional uh, wealth managers and investors. So you in, end up there. And the startups that are there are more fintech. And then you end up in, you know, maybe Chandigarh for a series of meetings or Chennai or Hyderabad or um, you know, you get to kind of go Coimbatore, you get to go all over and see, you know, all of these interesting cities and the different dynamics of, of, of India, because it's not, you know, like if you haven't been there before, it's not like the United States, which has different states that obviously have a different feel. I mean, these are different languages, different scripts, you know, it's, it's you know, very different going from Goa to, you know, Andhra Pradesh or something like that. So <clears throat> you're all nostalgic. All in <laughs> Uh, well, it's not easy. I mean, some, sometimes flying, you know, can, you, there, are, there are things that take longer in India than here, and, you know, <laughs> getting onto an airplane, driving into a city takes, you know, a very long time because of traffic. So there are things that can be frustrating, but if you let that grind you down, then you kind of miss the, you, you kind of miss the magic and you just plan around it and assume, assume it's going to happen. And you're like, uh, the, the positives definitely are much better than any of the, any of kind of the, the, the uh, negatives. What was your feeling the first time around? I'm guessing you're the first in your side of the family to have ventured out like this. What were the, were you somewhat scared, just excited? What were the feelings as you were 
thinking through this process of making the move. Right. So I think you've got a couple of things going on. One, you know, I'm leaving a Fortune 500 business and starting my own business, which is scary in, in and of itself. And then you're deciding to do it in a different country. Um, you know, obviously I have connections there because my uh, wife, though she was born in Ohio, we still have a family there. But I think moving is is challenging. You know, moving from yeah. Denver to Connecticut, from you know, from Connecticut to Atlanta, you know, all of the or wherever you're, you've moved. No, even if you're just moving in the same city, it's not pleasant, right? It's, it's just kind of a hassle. Moving to another country is um, very jarring, right? So um, one, it takes your body. I mean, as you know, as you've been there, it takes a whole week or two weeks to get used to the new time frame. So it's not just like moving. It's like you wake up at night, you know, sleep during the day for the first little bit. But I'd say the the the, the pace and the density of of um, of crowds and the energy of India was was shocking for the first couple of weeks. I'd been there for work. I'd been there to visit family, but it's very different to set up a house than it is to, you know, stay in your Mosi's basement and have her bring you chai and biscuits. And you don't have to really do anything. So, um, you know, it's a. Uh, uh, but it was great. I'd say the first couple of months were, were just a challenge getting used to everything. And then it was, uh, then it's been a really positive. The kids, you know, and our kids have flourished. You know, my daughter said to me, she's like, I don't want to go back to the U.S. She's like, everyone looks the same. I've got friends from Korea and India and, and Singapore and Denmark and Africa. And, you know, it's like, oh, wow, that's, you know, she's, it's really interesting. So. So this is when you had to come back because of COVID, but when you were planning to go, were the kids as excited? Did they get a say in this or was it more of a, hey, we are doing this and more of a counseling session for them? So um, we left in 2018 and my daughter was in fifth grade. Mm -hmm. My son was in third grade and he was kind of like, I told him and he's like, will there be other boys to play with? I'm like, yes. He's like, okay. <laughs> You know, because that's, I think, in the mind of an eight-year-old boy, can I get dirty and jump on other kids? And if that answer is yes, then you're fine. But, you know, for my daughter, um, you know, the friendships that you're starting to form were very, you know, or what's keeping her there. She was, but we knew, my wife and I wanted to give them the experience of living in a different country. We wanted to show them um, just, one, how different people live. And also, you know, one of the reasons we wanted to be in India is, um, how lucky everyone in the U.S. is just by the lottery of birth, right? The, the someone who who lives in a very poor village in India, what sep what separates you um, from someone? You know, it's just a, it's just the, the lottery of birth. Uh, you know, there's nothing different between the inherent quality, obviously, of a person, and but it's hard to see that from the U.S. You know, from the sanitized view of the U.S. And so we wanted to really give them that exposure. Um, my daughter was obviously upset about it. Um, but my wife and I were like, listen, if we wait until she's in eighth grade and, you know, then we're never going to get her out of here. We've got to go now. And so we went and she stormed around and didn't like it and then came home from the school the first day with a, with a couple of friends. And, you know, since then, it's been great. Nice. And uh, now as an entrepreneur, right, amongst the many other things that you're dealing with in India, what keeps you up at night? So ignoring the tension of COVID that, you know, kind of is global anxiety for all of us. Yes. So that's just kind of weirdly unpopular. I think for, uh, you know, for an entrepreneur, um, what's interesting about being an entrepreneur is a fund. I mean, one, most people don't think of a venture fund as being, you know, an entrepreneurial venture. They think of them as being investors. 
But when you're starting a fund, you're very much an entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I've invested, you know, a large portion of my own money, but you're also the, the steward of other people's money. Um, so the pressure to, um, to succeed and make sure you're investing in the right companies and nurture them the right way. It's one thing if, you know, if you fail yourself, it's, it's another thing to feel the pressure of other people believing in you and you taking their money. So it's a dramatically different, I think, uh, pressure. So that's really, I think the, the, the largest tension is, um, other people put faith in me and I need to perform for them. It's not, it's not just, um, something I, you know, on E-Trade, I made a bad investment and lost $10,000 and that's on me and no one else has the, you know, feels the impact of that. This is me, you know, putting myself in the same shoes as everyone else. So we're, you know, we're all, but at this, at the end of the day, I'm, I'm helping them, um, you know, hopefully help them get asked get, get exposure to a cool asset class, but they put faith in me and I really want to perform for them. Um, for the companies that I represent, as a general rule, they don't keep me up at night. I'm not worried about finding potential investments. It's if, if I had 10 times the amount of money, I would have been able to invest in, in the, the number of companies that I've seen that are amazing is, is uh, really impressive. Um, and I think that the, the environment, the venture environment is changing rapidly. And in the, even since I've been there, even just in the two and a half years that I've been there, um, part of which is the, the Flipkart app, the Flipkart acquisition by Walmart showed a, you know, a large exit and has created that, um, you know, what you have in the Valley, you've got multiple generations of entrepreneurs who can turn around and be angels and mentors to that next, mm -hmm. that next generation of, of, of entrepreneurs. And that doesn't really exist in India. And so having that, you know, kind of um, having that institution and people see that you can get access has been very helpful to the whole environment. Any Jugaad tricks you've picked up while you've been there? Well, Jugaad is the best word, yeah. uh, you know, of, of all times. It's kind of, it can be used negatively, yeah. Um, but it also can be used like MacGyver um, or, uh, you know, like in the technical world, be like hack. Yeah. So one, nothing is done without Jugard. I mean, because it's not, you know, nothing works exactly right. Um, if you expect everything to be perfect in India, it's just not going to, you know, it's not going to be, you kind of have to create a hack um, for, for everything. Um, and uh, so like, I wanted to have a, I've got a big, big deck that gets a lot of sunlight and I wanted to have a garden because one of the biggest problems in India for me that I miss is leafy greens mm -hmm. because, you know, the bacteria that's on salad, you know, is uh, my you know, wimpy um, stomach can't necessarily handle it. So if it hasn't been cooked, I'm not so I'm not sure about eating it. So I wanted to have leafy greens so I knew where they came from. But I'm like, how do I build this? There's not like a Home Depot. <laughs> and if you actually go into the places like Sikandupur Market and Gurgaon, mm -hmm. there are shops that sell products like, but this guy just sells plywood. He, he doesn't mm -hmm. sell hammers or saws. He just sells plywood. This guy sells screws, mm -hmm. but not, not screwdrivers. He just has screws. And so understanding and navigating, you know, that environment while I go in and found the things I needed, but I still didn't have everything. So I, I took the, all the moving crates that we came with. And with the tools that I brought, cut everything down, broke it out and made these huge planters. So now when well, my balcony is all full of vegetables from the packing crates that brought over pictures and glass tabletops and other things. And I'm like, it's great. It's been completely repurposed into providing fresh nutritional food for me and my family. So it's fantastic. That's awesome. That's really cool. Do you run into any of your Wharton alums? I run into some Wharton alums. Um, Wharton runs a program in Bangalore, actually, but I've never been able to go because it's over uh, Christmas break. Yeah. Um, but there's a handful of Wharton folks um, in Mumbai more than in Delhi. But I do see the Wharton uh, alumni pages that come across. Most of them are, um, you know, Indian uh, folks mm -hmm. that, that it's, 
Um, and, you know, in my class, I went to the Wemba program, Wharton, you know, executive management program, but it's, it's the same number of classroom hours as their full-time MBA, and it's not, the degrees don't differentiate. But I would say 30% of the class uh, were Indians because it was in the Valley uh, in San Francisco. Wharton has a program where they fly their faculty from Philadelphia to San Francisco. And it was, you know, people who had, um, you know, it was their second graduate degree. They were engineers that were working for Cisco or Oracle or um, Apple or, or IBM. So there's a huge number of folks there. And one people, one person from my class has moved back. But when I end up in my fantasy football league, all of the people make fun of me because they're like, hey, we're all the Indians in India and you've left, you've left Wharton and you've gone to India and live there. And so um, the draft time doesn't work because they're all, you know, maybe having a glass of wine at night. It's like three o'clock in the morning or, or 6 a.m. for me. But, um, Where do you see yourself a year or three years from now? So my hope is that this is uh, wildly successful and I've got a, a team, uh, a team in India mm -hmm. um, and I'm able to sleep at night because at least I've get back to your question, because I've given some return back, you know, had a first exit and given return back to the investors that have put faith in me. Um, I think I was, it was much easier to answer that question before COVID. Yeah. You know, now what's really weird is questions are like, when and how, what does travel look like in mm -hmm. the future? Um, and and I, I just don't know the answer to that question. I know that when I get back to India, hopefully as soon as possible, I think even in the short term, I won't be traveling inside of India as much. It'll be more Zoom call. Um, and so uh, without, that, without the COVID kind of scare, um, my hope is that, you know, this is fund two is, fund one has had a couple of exits. Fund two is now in formation and the team that I've hired in India has been successful and I've been able to grow it. Where do you draw your inspiration and motivation from? Oh goodness. Um, well, one, I, you know, being in the mergers and acquisitions world, um, you know, for, for my career until I moved to India for 18 or 20 years, I was always on the buying side and a lot of times buying out companies, you know, that have been founded by entrepreneurs and, you know, then they had some uh, tangible exit for this business that they'd spent, you know, kind of a life building. And I always had this huge amount of respect while I was sitting in this, you know, comfortable corporate position where the only risks that I had were, you know, if I politically offend someone, does it, you know, change my bonus? You know, I'm not really worried about the day-to-day -day operations like an entrepreneur would be when everything is riding on your shoulder. So saying that, um, I really wanted to um, uh, experience, uh, experience what it was like to, to build and own something. But at the same time, we're having a, you know, having a huge impact on people's lives by being able to provide capital to startups that are having an impact on people's lives in India. And then take the expertise that I've developed across the, you know, my legal practice when I first started, supply chain and operations, and smart mobility, and take all those things, take all of those experiences and put them together into a vision of how I can help you know, grow this next generation of entrepreneurs. So far, it's been successful. Nice. Amidst all of this, how do you have fun? How do you, what do you do to unwind? Sure. Well, one, um, I like to run. Mm -hmm. um, running in India is very difficult because the infrastructure is tough. I tried. And, yes. <laughs> Couldn't do it. And I'm, I know people that do it and run marathons. I'm like, that's crazy. Um, <laughs> so I get, to, I get to run here, which is quite nice. Um, I think the biggest challenge for not just me, but for all parents, right, is now you've got kids at home and they can't really interact with people or do other things. And you're managing meals that you weren't managing before and you're managing school. So that's the biggest, I think one of the largest challenges is, is, is how do you keep the kids happy and keep yourself happy? 
So I take the, you know, I unwind by playing with the playing with the kids, and I've decided that when I'm when I convinced myself that I'm multitasking, I'm really just ignoring either what I'm trying to do or the kids. So when I'm with them, I'm fully focused and try to roll around on the ground with my son and get dirty, and you know, you end up laughing and have a lot of fun at the end of the day because he has no outlet for you know little boy you know 11 year old little boy energy yeah. and so I'm, I've become that outlet so that's uh, that and the occasional run and then I cook dinner every night and I love the creative process of cooking dinner and so those are my you know those are my enjoyments a glass of wine every once in a while helps too and the vegetables are coming from the from the hack garden that you put together <laughs> well you know the hack garden is back in India and uh, it's being maintained <laughs> Uh, we've asked someone to help keep it, keep it going. But I do have a small garden here. Um, nice. I've been able to, to harvest my first tomatoes and green peppers, uh, and I've got some herbs but, uh, and lettuces for salad. But that's more of a hobby, right? Because it's more of a, um, but uh, I, I, I enjoy that whole process. Um, and it's been great. Charles, this was amazing. I had a lot of fun having this discussion with you and looking forward to staying in touch and bringing you over back uh, hopefully when you're back in India and uh, catching up on your experiences there. Thank you for making the time to be with us and uh, pleasure having you. Nathan, this is great. I love what you're doing. It's been a lot of fun. I've enjoyed meeting you and, and uh, you know, a handful of other, other folks in, in, in Southern California that we've been talking to lately. And I really appreciate it and look forward to keeping in contact. Likewise, Charles. Have a great day. All right. Thanks. Yeah.